0: Welcome to the Collective Church podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. To learn more about Collective, you can follow us on social media at Church or head to www.mycollective.church. Now here's Sunday's message. Last week, I handed out journals and I encouraged everyone to bring them back and take notes because that is one of the best ways that you can own your growth. Uh, So if you did that today, what I want you to do is I want you to come find me in the lobby after service because I have a Starbucks gift card for you. You don't even have to talk to me, you can just show the journal, okay? So I'm not like trapping you into a conversation, just be like, here it is, I'll toss you a gift card because owning your growth can be hard, right? Uh, Sometimes it means waking up early, it means setting reminders, it means creating new habits, trying something new. And coffee will always make that a little easier. So I'm gonna hook you up with that. And if you weren't here last week, we told you that you wouldn't wanna miss a week, okay? Uh, In fact, we have better weeks to come and uh, you don't wanna miss any of the Sundays coming up. But if you weren't here last week, you're like, man, I genuinely want this journal. Go to Next Steps, After Service. They have a few extras and we'd love to give you one of those. So my wife and I live in a townhouse And a few months ago, we started to notice that most weekends, there were two young guys dressed in suits walking around and knocking on doors. You guys already know where this is going. Well, our house is an end unit, and our front door is actually around the corner. So the guys never came to our door, most likely because they couldn't figure out that someone lived back there. In fact, if we order Uber Eats, we often have to meet them on the corner, or else they'll just kind of wander around our neighborhood trying to find where we live. And so for weeks, we would see these guys walking around, but not one time did they knock on our door. And to be honest, we preferred it that way. Well, a few Sundays ago, our luck ran out and Ray and I were watching football and the guys were on the corner of the sidewalk that leads to our house. And we were watching them through our blinds like a pair of creepers, uh, just kind of like hoping they wouldn't find us. And we literally saw the moment that they realized someone lives there. It was like we saw the light bulb go off above their heads And so they made their way to the front door, and I asked Ray if she would answer it, uh, but she just gave me a look, so I got up quickly. Um, They knocked, and I tried to make sure they didn't knock again because we had kids that were napping, and we didn't want them to wake up. And as soon as I opened the door, they went into their spiel. Good afternoon, sir, which I know is out of respect, but I don't feel like I'm old enough to be a sir, so I was immediately offended. Good afternoon, sir. Would you like to hear about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? No. No can we leave you with information about the church? No. Okay, well, if you ever change your mind, we'd love for you to come in and talk with you and your family. I'm really not interested. Thank you, though. And then I walked them to the corner of the sidewalk, and I pointed at my neighbor's house a few doors down and said, try them, and then they walked away. I didn't actually do that. My neighbor is at Dillon, who plays keys, and he's like, is that why they knocked on my door? I was like, oh, maybe. Listen, it doesn't matter that I am a pastor I don't want people showing up at my door in suits asking me if I want to hear about Jesus. And just a little bit of a soapbox, Jehovah's Witnesses believe in Jesus, but they actually don't believe that he's God, which is pretty essential to the whole dying on a cross and taking on the sins of the world thing. They also believe that only 144,000 people get into heaven, even though there are 8.4 million Jehovah's Witnesses in the world, which is just kind of awkward. Uh, and they believe the end times started in 1914 and they're still happening today, which actually makes sense because <laughs> this world is not going well. Uh, but Jesus actually said, no one knows the date or the time. And so while they do believe in God, their core beliefs are not from Scripture or even Jesus himself. So I'm genuinely not interested. But have you ever had an experience like that? Someone knocks on your door at dinner time to ask if you want to talk about Jesus. Or you're walking downtown in Frederick, and you get cornered by someone who claims they can heal you and all of your problems and all of your pain if you just have enough faith. Or you are working at a bar or a restaurant and someone leaves something that looks like this with their bill. I know, if you work in the service industry, I'm so sorry. This is a real thing. Um, it looks like money, but it's actually a tract to tell people about Jesus. At the bottom, it says, given in, in, in the spirit of friendship. No friend would ever do that to someone. Or how about this one? You're in the grocery store, and you can tell that someone is following you and creeping on you a little bit, and then they finally make their move. And while you're grabbing a gallon of milk, they tell you that Jesus told them that you needed to hear the gospel. So they begin to try and convince you in that moment to repent of your sins while the milk door is still open. Those are all real things that have happened to friends of mine. And I wish I could make this up, I'm not even kidding you. As I was working on this message on Friday, some dude walked up to my door, rang the doorbell, and then knocked so loud that my neighbor, two doors down, heard it. And then he said, hey, I just wanna invite you to church while trying to hand me a tract about Jesus that also had a bald eagle on it, so I'm not really sure how those things connected. But what I wanted to say to him is, do you think this really works? Like, do you really think this is the best way to tell people about Jesus? And here's the thing, inviting people to church, sharing Jesus with your friends and family, talking to people about God, We should do that. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's kind of part of the deal. But there's got to be a better way than knocking on strangers' doors or cornering people in public or giving them a bait and switch. And if you are like me, these types of experiences are why you are hesitant to invite someone to church. These types of experiences are why it's hard for you to talk to other people about God because you don't want to seem like those people. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at a Bible story that I believe shows us the best way to talk about Jesus to people. And it's connected to one of our six values. And so we're gonna jump in. It's in John four, starting in verse three, it says this. So he, meaning Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, just a little geography lesson. In Jesus' day, Israel was broken up into three distinct regions, Judea in the south, Samaria in the middle, Galilee in the north. So if someone was traveling through the southernmost region of Judea to the northernmost region of Galilee, they'd have to go through Samaria. And so this verse kind of sounds like common sense. However, that's not actually what Jewish people would typically do. Typically, Jewish people would walk around Samaria. And here's why. In 727 BC, historians tell us that the Assyrians conquered Jerusalem and exiled the Israelite people to another country. Essentially, they kicked them out of their homeland. Years later, the Assyrians allowed the Jews back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, but when they returned, they found that some of their own people had been left behind and they ended up in Samaria. And against God's law, the Jewish people in Samaria married people who were a part of other religions. They married people who were not Jewish. And the reason this was against God's law was because what happened is exactly what God warned would happen. They began to combine their pagan religions and worshiping false gods with Judaism and they were no longer worshiping the one true God. So when the Jews came back to Israel and saw that some of their people had compromised their faith, they disconnected from them. This is why Jewish people would go, wouldn't go through Samaria, but they would go around it, because they didn't want anything to do with the people they had felt had betrayed them and their religion. A few weeks ago, I was going to grab Starbucks and as I was driving into a parking spot, I saw a car that belonged to someone that I absolutely did not want to bump into. So do you know what I did? I drove right out the other side of that parking lot and I went to a Starbucks that was farther away. Right? And you can judge me for that, but that's okay. You do the same thing. Right? If there's tension in your family and you're doing a family event while one of them is outside, you're inside. And while they're inside, you're outside. Or there's, there's that one coworker that you just can't stand. So you walked the long way to avoid them, to go to the bathroom. Or you see your ex downtown, so you jump to the other side of the street. And that's essentially what the Jewish people were doing in Jesus' day. They would go around Samaria. But Jesus chose not to do that on this day. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And I said this last week these names are important because the author is reminding us that this story is about real people at a real time in a real cities at real places. Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired from the long walk sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And one thing that we have to understand about this moment is that this woman has no idea who Jesus is. To her, this is just the guy sitting at a well in the middle of the day. And Jesus asking for water would have been a big deal during that time because it was such a patriarchal society. The Old Testament of the Bible had made it clear from the beginning that there's a difference between men and women. But people had actually manipulated Scripture and taught that men are better than women. And so men didn't talk to women in public. In fact, if you were a rabbi and your wife or your daughter said hi to you in public, you weren't allowed to respond. Right? And that's not in the Bible. They just kind of turned it and twisted it, and they made that stuff up. And because of that, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? You aren't supposed to talk to me because you're a man. In fact, you're supposed to hate me because you're Jewish. Why are you asking me for water? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water, right? And so Jesus gets deep, but she doesn't actually pick up what he's putting down. She says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Right, she's taking Jesus literally, and living water back in this time, water that moved, right? And so essentially, she's thinking a river, like a creek, but Jesus is talking spiritually, right? He's not talking literally. And so Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And so Jesus explains, the water from this well will only satisfy you for a little while, but the water I give you will satisfy you for eternity. What Jesus is doing is he's comparing something temporary in this world to the eternal life that he offers. And Jesus did this all the time. In fact, just a few chapters later, he's gonna feed 5,000 people bread and fish. And the next day, people come back looking for more food. And Jesus tells them, you all want bread because you're hungry, but I came to give you the bread of life. Another time he's talking about money. He says, you can keep working and storing up all of your money and possessions, but your money will fade away. Only I can give you a rich and satisfying life. And so what Jesus is saying is that nothing in this world will fully satisfy us. Nothing in this world will fill us up. Nothing in this world will give us peace and hope and life. None of these temporary worldly things will fill that longing we have. The only thing that will is Jesus. "'Please, sir,' the woman said, "'give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, "'and I won't have to come here to get water.'" She still doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. She obviously wants what he's offering, but she isn't grasping that Jesus is talking about eternal and spiritual things instead of temporary and worldly things. And so Jesus kind of goes a different route. He says, "'Go and get your husband,' Jesus told her. "'I don't have a husband,' the woman replied." Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, it's very likely that this woman was ashamed of her past and ashamed of the way she was living. It's also very likely in that culture that she was an outcast. When we read earlier in verse six, it says it was about noon when the interaction happened. Nobody got water from a well at noon. It's the hottest part of the day. People tended to go earlier in the morning or later in the evening. The only reason someone would go to a well in the middle of the day was to avoid seeing people, or even more likely, because people were trying to avoid her. So the woman said, you must be a prophet. Things are starting to click. You must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, while the Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestor worshipped? So she's starting to test him a little bit, trying to figure out, okay, you're not just a guy, but who are you? And just some context. So Jewish people worshiped in Jerusalem at the temple, which was in the southern region of Judea. But when they were exiled, the Jews that ended up staying in Samaria had to figure out where to worship because they couldn't go to the temple anymore. And so what they did was they searched the scriptures and found in Deuteronomy 11, that God had said to proclaim blessings to me on Mount Gerizim. And so that's where they chose to worship. And of course, this led to more tension between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. But Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You know, part of the reason why Jesus came to earth was to break down some of the barriers religiously just put up to stop people from worshiping God fully. And so Jesus tells this woman, it's not about where people worship, but who people worship. And then something clicked. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, this is one of the only times when Jesus says this out loud. Right? Outside of when he's put on trial, this is one of the few times where he outright says, I am the Savior of the world. Right? And what this means is that Jesus is the one who will save us. It means that Jesus is the one who died and conquered death and resurrected from the dead. That Jesus is the giver of life. That Jesus is full of grace and truth. That Jesus is our source of peace. And Jesus is our source of hope. That Jesus is why no matter what you are going through right now, you can get up tomorrow because he is the Messiah, the one who came to rescue us. And as soon as she heard this, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I did. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Now, this as a story, this is a very rich story. And there's so many things we can learn from this. Jesus pushes against gender and racial barriers. He encounters a a woman who by all standards is lost and broken and far from God and he shows her grace and truth, right? She believes that, then she runs back to share it to her whole town. The whole town shows up, they meet Jesus and they also believe. But like I said earlier, this is probably the best example in the Bible of what it looks like to actually share Jesus with people. And it goes back to three words that she said. Let's jump back to the story. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? The best way to tell other people about Jesus is to say, come and see. She didn't preach a sermon. She didn't get into a theological debate. She doesn't condemn them or tell them that they're going to hell. She doesn't try to sell them or make up their minds for them. She just says, You gotta check this out for yourself. And there's a few things in this story that I think we need to understand as we try to figure out what come and see looks like in our own lives. And here's the first thing. The natural response when you experience Jesus is to say, come and see, right? She's so excited that she literally leaves the water behind the thing that she came for, and she runs into town to tell everyone what had just happened because it was life changing. And when you experience something like that, you can't keep it to yourself. Let me put this in non-Jesus terms. Uh, By a round of applause, how many of you are Ravens fans here? So many Ravens fans. Okay, follow-up question. Uh, How many times have you talked about the game-winning, record-breaking field goal that Justin Tucker kicked last week? Yeah. (laughs) How many people did you text? 10, 20, 30, millions of people, right? How many times did you watch the replay online, right? Okay, how many times did you talk about that moment with your wife or your friend who doesn't even care about football, right? I'm not even a Ravens fan, but I'll admit it was amazing. And when you experience something amazing, you just wanna share it with other people. And maybe it's not football. Maybe for you, it's a song that you love or a TV show, a restaurant, a workout, a book. When we experience something great, we want to drop what we were doing and share it with other people. And so I think a lot of us aren't telling people about Jesus because we don't have a relationship worth sharing about. Right? And I'll just talk about me for a second. The thing I think I talk about the most uh, about is my kids. Right? If you come here long enough, I'm just going to share stories about my kids because they are the coolest, sweetest, funniest kids. They do the best stuff, and I love them so much. And because of that, I just talk about them all the time. And again, I'm just talking about me here, but when it comes to Jesus, if I'm not continually amazed by the one who rose from the dead, the one who gives me grace, the one who gives me hope when life is hard, that must mean for me, I am ignoring his power, right? That I'm not listening to his voice, that I haven't reflected on his faithfulness, that I'm forgetting about the fact that I'm in more need of grace now than I've ever been. And to be honest, this is why I have to own my growth. It's why I have to be here in church. It's why I set reminders on my phone to take time to pray and read my Bible every day. It's why I spend time with other Christian people who I can be real and vulnerable and honest with and who can help me be a better follower of Jesus. It's why that I have to take time to step back from my day to day to see what God is doing in my life, in this church, and in the lives of people around me. Because when I do those things, I experience Jesus. And when I experience Jesus, my natural response is to say, Come and see. Come and see and invite people to experience what Jesus has to offer. And my guess is the same that is true for you. Here's the second thing I wanna point out from this story. To say come and see doesn't mean you have it all together. Right? This woman has been married five times. She's living with a dude she's not married to. Let's be honest, she isn't living the best life. Right? She isn't living a godly life. But she sprints into the city and says, I found the Messiah, you gotta come check him out. She doesn't clean herself up first. She doesn't hide what she has done. She doesn't put on a facade. She just shares her story, right? She says, he told me everything that I've done. And the truth is the town knows her story, right? And so the response is, he knows everything you did, but he still wants to rescue you, forgive you, love you. We gotta check this guy out. And so don't try to cover up your story because your story is why people will wanna come and see. A few years ago, I was at a conference called Catalyst in Georgia, and one of the speakers was a guy named Judd Wilhite, and I didn't know anything about him, but they introduced him as one of the keynote speakers, and they said he was the pastor of Central Church in Las Vegas, which is a church of 20,000 people, and Vegas is one of the hardest cities in the world to put a church in, and he shared the story about how he was interviewed to become pastor of this church, and he said he went out of respect for them and what the church was doing in the city, but before they could even interview him, he told them, You don't wanna hire me. He said, I was a drug addict growing up. I grew up going to church, but when my parents brought me to youth group, I would just sneak out the back and I would go get high while other people were worshiping Jesus. He said, then I got into really intense drug abuse and addiction. I overdosed, I came from a broken home. I have a past that I'm not proud of, but I found hope in Jesus. And I don't know why you'd wanna hire somebody like that to lead your church. So you just need to know that up front." And they told him, Those are exactly the type of people that are coming to our church and we need you to be our pastor, right? Don't hide your story. Don't wait until you have it together and you can put a nice bow on everything. Just be honest about your life and say, come and see what Jesus is doing in my life. Here's the last thing I wanna point out. To say come and see doesn't mean you have all the answers. The woman doesn't really even follow Jesus yet. She says, could this be the Messiah? She isn't completely sure. And theological knowledge is something that you should pursue, right? Uh, Jesus tells us that we should love God with our minds. You should read your Bible. You should memorize scripture. You should read great thinkers like C.S. Lewis and Eugene Peterson. But don't think you have to have all the answers to tell someone about Jesus. You just have to know what he is doing in your life. There's a story in John 9, where Jesus meets a man who is born blind, and he heals him. And so the man has this life-changing experience, and he goes into town, and he tells everyone about it. And the religious leaders hear this, and they begin to interrogate this guy. Did Jesus say he was a prophet? Did Jesus say he was God? Did Jesus say he was a sinner? But check out what the guy says. He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see where he's saying, I don't know the answer to all of your theological questions. All I know is I met this guy named Jesus and something happened. My life changed. One pastor put it like this, the most important thing isn't what you know, it's who you know. Now, I've talked a lot to Christians today or even people that call collective their church home. Uh, So right now, I actually wanna talk to those of you who would say you don't follow Jesus or you're just unsure about this whole Jesus thing. Let's go back to this story. I want to read again what Jesus says to the woman at the well. In John 4, starting verse 13, he says this, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Right? And Jesus sees that you are going through life, trying to fill yourself up, and you're still thirsty. And maybe you're trying to fill yourself up with your job but you think money will be the satisfaction you need. Or maybe you're putting all of your stakes into your family because you think that will bring uh, fulfillment. Maybe you're turning to alcohol or drugs or sex because you're just looking for an escape. Whatever you are trying to fill yourself up with, Jesus is the only one that offers a satisfaction that will never go away. And the reason why we say it will never go away is because he resurrected from the dead. When someone lives a perfect life and defeats death, everything he promised can be trusted. And so when Jesus said, I will give you true life, and that will last forever, no person and no problem can take it away. It's not an empty promise. It's believable. It's something that we can trust. And so I want you to know, if you came here today to see, and you are looking for something more in life, that is why this church exists, to share with you that something more is out there, something better exists. There's a living water that Jesus gives that will fill you up and it will never leave you thirsty again. And so, for you, if that is why you're here and if that is what you're searching for, we want to help you figure out what next step you need to take. And so, what we want you to do is we want you to check the baptism box on your connection card and we'll follow up this week because we want to help you get filled up with a fresh life that will never go away. So, we want Collective to be a place where we say, Come and see. It's a place where we invite people to bump into Jesus so they can experience the life that only He has to offer. A life that is full of hope, full of grace, full of life giving community. Now, to be honest, our marketing plan is you. We don't buy billboards. We don't canvas neighborhoods. Please don't do that. We just assume that one person is going to say to another person, come and see. Come and see what Jesus is doing in my life. Come and see what Jesus is doing in this community I'm a part of. I'm not perfect, and I don't have all the answers, but Jesus is doing something in my life, and I know he can do the same thing in yours as well. Come and see. Let's pray. God, um, we totally understand what it's like to be the woman at the well. God, we understand what it's like to have things that you're not proud of, make decisions that you regret, to put ourselves in a place where we feel like outcasts, or God, maybe even we are outcasts. But God, we're so thankful that in that place in that brokenness that we have, you meet us where we're at. God, you don't force this woman to go in search for you. Ultimately, you show up in her life and you bring what she needs. God, you bring her hope, you bring her joy, you bring her peace. God, you bring her a fresh life. So God, that's what we need. God, to be honest, we're trying to fill our life up with things that won't satisfy us. they will only disappoint us and let us down, and we know that. But God, we're always thankful for the reminder that when we choose something that won't satisfy us, we can always choose to come back to you. God, I pray this week as, as we continue to focus on that fresh life and that new life that you offer us, God, that we realize that it's not just for ourselves, God, it's not just for this moment that we have with you at a well, but ultimately, God, we drop everything we're doing. We go back to our town and we tell everybody we know, come and see. Come and see the Messiah, the one who came to rescue us, the one who came to forgive us, the one who loves us so much that it doesn't even make sense. So, God, I just pray that we have opportunities to do that this week, the courage to do that this week. Um, God, ultimately, I pray that we get to a place where we can be real about who we are, real about our brokenness, and real about what you're doing in our lives. Because we know this church and our community and the people that we love will be better because of it. God, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen.